0: listening to Grace Geltman and Weld on The Hammer Factor. Take it away, boys.
1: Well, that has got to be seen. Um, Welcome to Hammer Factor episode 50. Uh, My name is John Grace, show producer here at The Hammer Factor. I'd like to welcome my co-host, policy director for the Outdoor Alliance, Lewis Geltman, and the Island Crossing Kayak Pioneer. How about that title? That's my thing. John Weld. Right. That's my thing. Um, you Get on an island. I'll cross it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. We'll have to do a whole whole show here of your. Uh, I'm just interested in how you got into this thing of crossing islands with a kayak.
2: Once yeah. you get started, once you do one, you just get hooked. The next thing <laughs> you know, you're just crossing islands everywhere. This is what you do.
1: Uh, episode 50. All right. Um,
2: Can you believe there are people who have listened to all 50 episodes of this show, and that means they have listened to us talk for? 100 plus hours 100 hours
1: i really can't believe it
2: that's honestly more than my wife has listened to me in our entire 20-year marriage (laughs) there are people out there who probably know me better than my wife Uh,
1: you know and we're and we're picking up like another 50 subscribers every week it's nuts Um, big thanks to everybody who uh, put in a review on our itunes page that was really cool did you guys see any of those reviews i've not we've got some raving reviews on itunes big thanks to all our listeners before we get into this episode this episode of the hammer factor is brought to you by four corners river sports in durango colorado located on the banks of the animus river four corners has been helping customers get on the river since 1983 with a great selection of whitewater boats gear and accessories we can help facilitate any of your kayaking needs We have the ability to ship boats, boards, and gear nationwide and offer especially affordable shipping rates to Colorado, Utah, New Mexico, and parts of Wyoming. We also offer free shipping on any accessory orders over $100. In addition to a well stocked retail store, Four Corners is home to a full-service kayak school. We offer classes for paddlers of all abilities aged 6 through 100 years old. Whether you're looking to improve your role or learn more about river running, our top-notch ACA-certified instructors can help you build your skills. Though this season's snowpack may be less than what we'd hoped, there's still plenty of paddling to be done in the Four Corners region. Four Corners is the last stop before the Grand Canyon, as well as many of the other desert multi-days. <clears throat> and we are the premier sponsor of Animus River Days, one of Colorado's oldest whitewater events held on June 2nd. Here's the kicker. Use the promo promo code hammer factor that's all caps hammer factor 10 off your next online order so there you go hammer factor nation are you are you guys i I don't want to i hate
2: to like subtract from the positive nature of four corners but are you guys have you guys heard what happened to andy Cora's kid
1: i i did hear a a a little a little brief thing on that yeah he yep i did
2: Andy Cora is the guy who owns Four Corners. Is he the is he sole owner, or is there more people involved? Do You know,
1: I think he's the co-owner. I think it's a partnership. Okay, yeah, I,
2: I, um, his kid his kid jumped up on a, on a retaining wall and uh, and fell off this thing. It was kind of a weird situation, but he sort of fell like I don't know, 15, 20 feet on a pavement in. in you know got a, a, I guess i mean a, a traumatic brain injury, but he's been in the hospital for a while. i I spent some time on his carrying bridge page their CaringBridge bridge page the other day, just sort of going through it. It looks like he's recovering, which is great. I mean he's conscious and he's moving around and but God man, how scary is that
1: It's so scary I mean you know we're all it's crazy how thin how how thin the line is between just everything going good and everything going bad, you know yeah.
2: Especially, I mean, this past two weeks in paddling, right?
1: The past two weeks have been really hard here in the Southeast. Um, A young man, 20-year-old guy, drowned Saturday on the Green River Narrows at Go Left. Um, Matthew Ray, he was an awesome kid. And I say kid, he was a man. Um, But, you know, to me, he was a kid. And it's hard when it's on your home river, and it's hard when it happens back-to-back, and I don't know I have more to say on that in the future but right now it's just like man be thankful look around you and be thankful and don't just take moments for granted be careful everyone anyway I
2: think um, I think Andy it seems like they're doing some fundraising out there uh, for Andy's kid um, so if you guys are part of the community I would take a second take a look at it uh, I mean talk about it, a family who's committed to the, to the sport that Andy Cora certainly falls into that category Oh yeah, so. there's
1: there's no joke there. Um, we have a pack show here today. Man, we're shooting for four hours. <laughs> so four hours south. This one could definitely go on a long time, but we are going to keep it under an hour, guaranteed. You think? Not happening. No way it's going to happen. But we do have we we do have a packed show. We got an anonymous boat review guy back, um, which is. Awesome. A lot of people have been requesting the ABRG, so ABRG is back on this show. We have Doc Rocco, um, our in-house pathologist, who is going to basically give us the lowdown on um, Lyme disease and uh, other vector-borne illnesses. If you don't know, whatever, I think he's going to blow some
2: minds. That's my prediction. I think I'm going to give a little teaser here. Stay tuned for this one because there is going to be some controversy. I can feel it. first of all as you know we live you know it's no longer science people have opinions on science now and those are as valid as science itself which leads me to believe that we're going to have a lot of people opining on this show
1: yeah well vector-borne illness if you don't know what vector-borne illness is it's basically diseases that are carried by bugs mosquitoes ticks that sort of thing so yeah doc rocco is going to give us the lowdown on that it's spring season there's lyme disease ticks all kinds of things going out there Uh, we got viewer mail all of that is coming up but first i would like to throw the mic over to lewis geltman lewis fill us in on your world where are you at right now you're not at home and what's going on oh
3: back in dc again after a quick all too quick like week back home but uh I did get out to go do a sweet middle fork trip out in Idaho last week when I was back home. Um, man, like three or four of my like really good buddies from growing up, like all guys who went to Valley mill. What grace? Yeah. <laughs> 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 <There we go. laughs> yeah. Just like, like, yeah, Neil shot, Matt Polak, Tim Bragan, special guest appearance by Ryan Bond. These guys, uh, with the exception of Ryan, these are all guys who just, like, basically quit hiking when we were, like, 13 or 14 years old and gotten back into it in the last couple of years and got them out. We did, like, a just glorious preseason middle salmon trip last weekend. Just, just like, I don't know, just super good water, hot springs. Nobody <sighs> else out there. Just, like, so fun to be out there with those boys. So that was sick. Um, now I'm back in D.C. again. Um, but we have... Uh, there's a really cool event going on this week The uh, two of our climbing advocacy organizations, Access Fund and American Alpine Club host this fly-in event called Climb the Hill, and it was just like, it was really cool last year, like a ton of famous pro climbers like Alex Honnold, uh, Tommy Caldwell, Sasha DeJulian, Kai Leitner, just like, you know, Badass, famous pro climbers in town to go make the rounds and do some lobbying on the hill on you know a bunch of public lands issues and I don't know. Like last year it was super cool, just you know filling up the Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee room with you know staffers and congressmen who were there to you know hear these guys talk about public lands and what it means to them. And I think that it was a pretty cool experience for for these like pro climbers to kind of. I don't know, just like make the rounds in D.C. and like, you know, kind of get a, a little more of a window into public lands advocacy and hopefully go back and, you know, keep pushing that stuff with their sort of like media profile. So that's going on again this, this week, and we got... I know the climbers groups have organized a bunch of, you know, pretty badass members of Congress to come talk. Like uh Senator Senator Wyden, who's led the charge on that recreation, not red tape bill, Senator Cantwell's coming to talk. So like it's gonna be it's gonna be cool still so, to to be here with all these guys. And yeah.
2: Do you think um I mean it seems like Pruitt's on the way out, true or false?
1: Yeah, I
3: just like I feel like reading tea leaves with the Trump administration is a tough game to play you know let's
2: (laughs) Let's suppose let's suppose he is showing the door what does that mean anything to you in in your job or is that is it more of a zinky
3: i mean our 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 stuff is much more interior and um forest service i shouldn't say our stuff but the work that we do is much more focused on interior and forest service but you know epa is obviously super important for you know like protecting clean water protecting clean air and that stuff has an impact on all of us, for sure. I, you know, it's hard to say how much better things would potentially get if Pruitt left. I mean, they just confirmed his his number two guy, who presumably would become the, the acting administrator if he were kicked out, and he, you know, came from his job as a coal lobbyist. So, I mean,
1: just... they're lined up, <laughs> right? <laughs> All right, uh, I
3: hear you. Okay, right. you get a deep bench of uh, <laughs> uh, people with a certain <laughs> worldview and a certain uh, list of supporters.
1: Let me ask you this, Lewis. When these, when you, when all these climbers are in DC, are you personally walking them around? How how does that happen? Like, give me like the visual of what's happening. Do these guys show up? Are they dressed in suits? Or like, how does it happen?
3: Yes, yeah, so, like I mean, these guys will show up, and we'll do like a big day of training for uh, for these folks who are you know, it's not just famous pro climbers. It'll also be people who run like local climbing advocacy groups. Maybe it's their first time in D.C., maybe not, but we'll do like a day of kind of lobby training. It's all down at the, I think the the REI down on, uh, like over in Northeast has made some space for us. So we'll kind of coach these guys up on how to do these meetings and then the next day everybody will put their suit on and, you know, kind of break up into little, you know, smaller groups and go have meetings with congressional offices. So I'll, I'll go on a group with, uh, I don't know, some of these folks. I, I saw who's on my group, and it, it's nobody who's... It's not Alex Arnold. <laughs> but, uh, so you're like the sea listers <laughs> Yeah, probably. I don't know anything about climbing anyway, so it's probably for the best.
1: Uh, well, we're going to keep this thing under three hours, so let's get right into some viewer mail here because I believe we got Doc, Ro- Doc Rocco coming on right at 420, correct?
2: Yeah. Yeah, no... The only... The only voicemail, the actual like recording we got, like a voicemail, was a butt dial. <laughs> this whole week, our anonymous,
1: our, would... no, our anonymous
2: Canadian may have just <laughs> poo pooed that. That's what I'm thinking. Did he ruin the voicemail? I don't know. Was his
1: call annoying
2: <laughs> enough for people to say, "Okay, this is done. It's, I th- it's over."
1: <laughs> I, I, I thought Fred brought it back though. You know, like you know, Fred came in with a like a legit comment and it was like super concise, value ridden. I don't know. Right.
2: That's true. Maybe. And then. Who has the voicemail number for Hammerfactor on their phone in such a way that they can bot dial it? I presumably would, they made a shortcut on their home screen. or I mean, presumably it was or.
3: Canadian Joe Pashi, right? <laughs> <laughs> He's like the only recent caller.
1: Uh, I, I kind of, I was listening to the voicemail and I could like hear something going on in the background. So I think they were like, Calling, can we just play that? Calling, <laughs> it was like Dol- a half hour long call. Let's <laughs> <just> play that. <laughs> I think it can be that much worse, right? <laughs> I think it was cold feet. I think someone was calling to lay into us and they were like, oh, I'm not going to do it. They just set the phone down and then you could like hear something in their car. Anyway, we'll see.
3: John Grace's stalker just breathing into the phone <laughs> for 30 minutes. <laughs>
1: Anyway, bring on the voicemails. I love the voicemails. It's way better than me stumbling through my words. Like I'm getting ready to do right now with Andy McMurray's um, email. Andy comes back. Um, This comes from the McMurray's, not just Andy, him and his wife. Um, I'll get to the meat of it here. Your podcast features some awesome and experienced guests who can offer so much more than a discussion of shark versus bear or asking about the size of Nicole's pseudo-trust fund to sustain her lifestyle. (laughs) Well, I don't know how you get away with the things you say half the time. Um, Instead, how about asking Nicole what it's like to be a female paddler that runs hard whitewater in a male-dominated sport, how to find the right group of women to paddle with, or the benefits of paddling with women versus men. Regarding Jared, generational paddling families are still few and far between in the history of the sport, and asking more questions about these topics versus giggling with side commentary would make the listening experience a much more enriching one. Um, Your podcast has great access to a wealth of whitewater knowledge, inc- including you three hosts. Um, put it to use, exclamation mark. Perhaps put some more foresight into the guest content to make it shine. Oh, McMurray.
2: Geltman, go ahead. You take this one. Keep me out of the fire.
3: Well, the thing about Nicole is, I mean, I think that if she wanted to talk about that, that would have been fine. But I think that we've been pretty conscientiously trying not to just have women guests on and being like you're here to talk about women's issues stay in your lane you know nicole knows a lot about a lot and not just about you know being a woman kayaker she's a kayaker
2: so you're saying that hammer factor is a safe space people can go and just be a kayaker
3: i just i mean just honestly like we i mean we have not done a great job of having women guests on it's like and when we do have women guests on, we don't want to just be like, you're here to talk about the ladies stuff. It's like, we want you to hear, you know, Nicole is an expert in all sorts of things. And, you know, she can talk about whatever she wants to talk about. And we have all sorts of stuff. I mean, I thought that her conversation was great. And, you know, if anybody wants to come on and, you know, have that conversation about, you know, being a woman in a male dominated sport, like we're happy to have that conversation. But we don't and want we'll, to. And on.
2: we'll mansplain to you while you're full of it. <laughs> <When did> you- <laughs>
3: Exactly. And then with Jared, if you wanted to have a bigger conversation with Jared, we'll definitely have the silence back on another time. But we were like three hours in and we can't not talk about the most important thing, which is shark vs. spare. So,
2: right, which will go down as an iconic
1: segment of the show, I, I think. From her email, I think something we need to kind of think about a little bit is that we are so inside baseball and we take so much for granted that we know about. I think that maybe we could do a little better job of, you know, whatever. I don't
3: know. Am I, am I about to launch on this? No, no, no. It's like no, no, you. something we
1: want to talk about, which is, yeah. seems to be of interest to some other people. So I don't know. Well, let's just let's just kind of uh, contrast that with Rhett Flowers' email here. Rhett says the contrast between the statistical analysis and the Seiler analysis made this the best and funniest show yet, which – outside of hanging the elephant commentary that was really funny i don't know if you i don't know if you ever (laughs) i I was
3: definitely reduced to tears during that
1: (laughs) it it really was i mean it was the silos are brilliant in many ways um this comes from robert scanlon it's very different finding a paddling crew if you didn't grow up paddling all your life or if you moved to a new place and aren't as well connected in the paddling world since you're not Hammer Factor famous. Hammer Factor famous, okay? If you're not on the Hammer Factor, it takes a lot of awkward Facebook group posts asking someone to go paddling with you. Then you get to paddle with a wide cast of colorful characters, most of, most of which, while they might or might not be good people and or paddlers, you would never want to be in a crew with. In my experience... It just took a lot of patience and eventually luck to find a crew. My biggest suggestion is to paddle easier rivers while trying to find a crew. It's a lot easier to form positive relationships with other people when everyone is relaxed and having fun versus when you're gripped and the guy that's supposed to be showing you down is swimming. It's anecdotal evidence, but most of the people I paddle with today are people I met on rivers that were at least a class below what we're both capable of paddling. Good luck, Rob. Hey, that's a good one.
2: Well, that was good advice. That's why. That's why I threw it in there. Because we yeah.
1: offered we offered no value
3: on that. Right, none. That's why. <laughs> exactly. We yeah, no trying help. to find trying to find people to go kayaking with on the internet. It's like I feel like. To overly generalize, you're going to get two sets of people. You're going to get the people who just moved there and are looking for somebody to go paddling with, and then you're going to get the people who've been living there and people don't want to go kayaking with for whatever reason, so they're reduced to looking for people to paddle with on the Internet. And that's like the matchmaking process, is like you're showing up <laughs> and you're meeting the people who have rubbed everyone else the wrong way and are looking for someone to go kayaking
2: Right, it's like dating in your 40s. It's fraught uh, with mine.
1: With uh, mine minefields. We we right. should we should start some app that's like the Tinder for kayaking crews. <clears throat> um, <laughs> Connor Sayers. Let's move on here. We are going to just bust through these, man, because we're like on time almost. Um, Connor says, I'm an associate of DR and JR, the de facto curator of the Northwest C- Cascadia Strategic Outburst Resu- Reserve, the NWCSOR. I <laughs> I had the opportunity to paddle an outburst on the GC I'm assuming he's referring to the Grand Canyon a number of years ago and Tim Kennedy's statement on an earlier program amazing front surfing on bigger waves would be a great Grand Canyon boat with raft support should be considered an understate, understatement there is no better Grand Canyon boat the dagger outburst, especially when paired with a handmade wooden paddle of optimal length and offset is a big water weapon of mass destruction. Um, Connor has some other links and some photo evidence of this, which we will include in the show notes, but I'm telling you, I'm getting an outburst just so you know.
2: Well, okay. So let me ask, let me ask you a question. Shane made this, um, I saw Shane at, at cheat fest this weekend and they had that new home slice. Okay. The new slicier, you know, playboat. hmm Uh, do you think, uh, that's a step in the right direction or should they be going more towards the outburst crowd? The outburst type boat. I've, Bigger, longer, faster.
1: Well, I think that like a brap is kind of in that ballpark.
2: Maybe a small brap. I keep beating Shane up about this. I See, want a longer brap. I want a longer brap too. You want an outburst. That's what you want. That's what you're describing. But I want a little more rocker the in the brap's front. brap's
3: better. Or, yeah.
2: I know. I'm, just, I'm not saying
3: exactly
1: the outburst,
2: but I'm saying that, that type of boat.
1: I think a 10 foot brap would be the bee's knees. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm all about the home slice and I love all of this stuff. But when are we going to get a family of braps? Like, I, the horse is dead, but I'm going to keep kicking it. The thing
2: is, here's the thing for me, right? Is I don't want, I don't, I don't really want three boats. I want two boats. You know what I mean? What? I just don't want to deal with it. I want, I want like how a, hell, a. How the hell are you going to get by with two boats? Yeah, that's all a right, good question.
1: Right. Wait, 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 wait. Let's
2: back up here. So you, I mean Okay, I do have more than two boats, but... Like what's your two-boat forever?
1: I, let me just put it this So way. you're going to attain... Which, I what's your. Attainment most boat normal motor?
2: boaters out there want two boats. They want a creek boat, and then they want a fun river-running boat.
3: You're, you're pushing things in the wrong direction, man. So if like like you do that, bro. then you're just you're making every boat suck, because
1: yeah. 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 two is not to I, I agree here. with Lewis on this 100%. You know, all right, all right. Gets, that you call. need, like, seven or eight boats. Yeah, exactly. I'll take seven or eight different-sized braps. You know, <laughs> anyway, you need see.
3: like at minimum, you need a modern longboat, a creek boat, a brap like boat, maybe a play boat. No. listen. I want- all
2: I all I need. Here's what I need. Here's 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 the boats I need. I need a creek boat, a good creek boat. I need a brap or something like the brap. I don't want anything shorter. I don't want anything more playful. I don't want a play boat. Not into it. And, and a boat for retaining, which for me is a full length downriver
3: boat.
1: You don't that's, ever, that's, you don't, yeah.
3: That's fine, but then, like, I don't know, like, if you live at the Potomac, you need a longboat for sure. And, like, once you get out west, you need a, I mean, dude, even in the southeast, everybody needs a longboat, man. Just for, like, cruising, you need a long boat.
1: I, I think that everybody needs, I think your statement is flawed, Weld, in that people, you, people can only afford a couple of boats. But they want and need, I don't know, six or eight for sure. Just my opinion. I mean, you need a couple of old-school boats. You need, like, some outbursts. You need some, like... I don't, like...
2: I, I paddled the green for a while, and I it just, was, it just was boring after a while. It just reminded me of boats I paddled for 30 years getting up to this point. You know what I mean? I don't... It just wasn't that interesting.
1: But you're going to want to go back fast. to it at some point.
2: If I want to go fast, i got my DR boat, you know? But then if I want to paddle the Upper Yacht, I'll paddle the Brab. That's all. That's,
3: yeah, that's but great. you need it for, like, I don't know, like for doing, like, a Toto White Salmon where you just want to, like, crush out... 20 miles or like doing a like Overn- middle fork salmon self-support overnight or on the grand
1: exactly all right that's the thing you see i don't grand, right, you need to right, see
2: right, I, i'm not exposed to that kind of white water yet but maybe if that day ever comes uh i will reconsider my position
1: this is a rabbit hole we're not getting out of. Let's, move, right, on. Yeah, yeah. Let's move on. Um, Dave Gardner. Hey, Hammer Factor crew. Thanks for making a great podcast. I think episode 49 was the best episode yet. The bear versus shark debate was eye-opening. Maybe I missed the episode, and you guys already discussed this, but it seems like it's starting to become a problem, especially on rivers in the West. Pack rafts. In my hmm. opinion, they're even worse than subs. It seems a lot of people paddle them often, They don't want to take the time to actually learn to kayak and are choosing to become pack rafters. There is no reason someone should paddle a pack raft when you can drive to the put-in and take out of a run, and they seem especially ridiculous on roadside roads such as the locks on Idaho. I've seen them on social media as self-supporting the Grand Canyon. It seems to me the only time they are acceptable in whitewater is when paddled by an already competent kayaker on easy whitewater that requires a 10-plus hike to or from the put-in or take-out. Again, these are my very opinionated thoughts on the subject. I would love to hear what you guys have to say about it. I'm sure it might ruffle some feathers. Keep up the great work, Dave Gardner. Hmm. What do you think of that, boys? I'm
2: revising my earlier statement. I just need a creek boat, a brap, and a pack raft. That's it.
1: I mean, I want to do a whole, I want to get a pack rafter on the show. I've never been pack rafting. I don't get it. I mean, I, I, don't, I just don't understand where I'd use one. I'm not, I haven't fully formed a
2: poo-poo in my mind yet, but I just don't know where I would want one.
1: Like the Middle Kings? I mean, you wouldn't do the Middle Kings of pack.. <laughs> no, right? no, no, no. But if you were going to do some, like, for your island hopping obsession, you don't think a packraft would be a good tool to get that done? No. Dude, I could—anyway.
3: Oh, yeah, I'm, or like maybe if you're going somewhere where like the whitewater isn't the point, it's just like crossing a big landscape. I mean, I guess I agree that it seems silly to me if you're just paddling a pack raft for the sake of paddling a pack raft, but maybe those guys are all out training for some savage mission. I don't yeah. know. i have like, I've never seen anybody just paddling a pack raft.
1: Yeah, I want to get a pack raft. If you're a pack rafter, you're into pack rafting, you want to come on here and defend pack rafting. I just like saying pack rafting. I'm not sure why but if you're a pack rafter and you want to know talk about pack rafting,
3: I know a couple guys we could have come on. I've never seen a
2: pack raft in the wild to me. It'd be like seeing like Sasquatch or something. <laughs> yeah, like I a don't know. Like that's it, how it you should look. be.
3: Right. It's like, if you have a pack raft, that's where you should be. You should be like, you should <laughs> like a, you know, <laughs> country.
2: Right, you'd have to like zoom in like magnify like 40 times, it'd be like a grainy silhouette of something that may or may not be a pack raft.
1: <laughs> yeah. we're done here. Yeah. All right, Lewis, get All your, right. guy, get your guy. Let's talk pack rafting. Um, <clears throat> our our first and, and only. He's a pack rafting enthusiast. Who's that? I missed that.
3: Colburn He's done some some cool stuff out in like Montana. He's he's into it. Some boys up in Alaska. This guy Forrest McCarthy. He used to work for a Winter Wildlands Alliance and like ski guides down in Antarctica and stuff. And he's like runs the American Packrafting Association now. I think he's up hmm. to all sorts of savage shit.
2: American Packrafting Association. The APA
1: <laughs> very same <laughs> APRA we're going to have to get the ABRG to do a review of the APRA <laughs> anyway um, Hammer Factor athlete Noah Weaver <clears throat> um, long time listener it looks like if you don't know Noah Noah is a uh, and you don't know Noah and yeah. we're
2: kind of ruining it to be, to be honest
1: we kind of are but you know I think I don't know if we are or not I think it's kind of our job to shed light on the righteousness that exists on our rivers. But I think we're
3: also maybe maybe setting that righteousness up as more rare than it really is because there are a lot of under-the-radar
1: ballers out there who... Who would know? Those in the know know.
0: Hmm.
1: Well, it's our job to expose them, I think. And uh, is that? So Noah, <laughs> Noah writes in, Hey, guys, heard the Shark vs. Bear episode the other day. Excited to hear you're my new sponsor. So... Um, he says, in quotes, doing nothing and kayaking is hard, and whenever I can is one of my specialties. A quality that is lost in on most people. I'm glad to hear you appreciate the hard work. But in all seriousness, thanks for the shout-out, and I would love to come talk kayaking anytime you need to fill a space. I'm in Knoxville and come to Asheville pretty often. I'm heading out to the North Fork Championship and then to work on the White Salmon in a month or so, but there is always a, ways, always a way to communicate these days. Cheers, Noah.
2: Well, if Noah came on the show, that would be the end of his sponsorship. True. But you know what? That, Actually, that's, that's that's the irony of can you, the um, paradox of being sponsored. Can you
3: really be the, the avatar of this, uh, this I, I uh, like, idol that we're holding up if you're coming from Asheville and moving to White Salmon? Is that contrary to your like where you the she image live. that we're trying to?
2: Look, he's just uh, nor-
3: I know, obviously.
2: I know, right exactly.
3: <laughs> With the rest of
2: the
1: crazies. <laughs> uh, he's, he's just coming to just coming out there to get savage. But anyway, I think that we can talk about that because it's not him talking about himself. It's us shedding light on him. So I think it's legit. Noah. Noah will be on the show. Noah, I'll reach out to you sooner than later. Later. Um <sighs>
2: Should we break and do Doc Rocco and finish up the rest of these emails?
1: Yeah, man, this is a really good one about the fluid dynamics and the classes. I know, I know, I know. it's great. That's why I wanted to, I was thinking
2: we should break. Okay. Let's
1: get Doc Rocco on the phone. I come back, can
2: I, let's, we'll come back to these emails. I definitely want to get to these.
1: Okay. This is a really good one. This could be a whole an entire show. And I love the whole thing with the riblets, because I'd never heard of the riblets, and I will be paddling with riblets.
2: Neither have I. I'm all about the riblets. although. <laughs> Uh, I get those vegetarian microwave riblets, which stink <laughs> up the entire house.
3: <laughs> that, that whole line of conversation, just like I start hearing Billy Hearn in my ear talking about the various ways to treat your hall to get more speed.
2: <laughs> I'm trying to picture you as like a 14 year old staring starry eyed at Billy Hearn as he explains this to you.
3: <laughs> I mean, I remember all the answers, man. The answers you you and Bond just
2: looking out. That was a gape. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> Billy wearing like a Boynton tank top and like <laughs> <laughs> gym shorts and high top <laughs> and tennis <laughs> shoes. <laughs> all right. Let's get talking on the phone. I, I hate to push this, but i he's a he, – He's a medical professional.
1: Well, well, Doc Rocco, welcome to the Hammer Factor. And uh, we are excited to hear what you have to say about some of our vector borne illnesses that we're dealing with uh, recently. All right.
4: Very good. Very good to be on. Thanks for having me.
1: So let's, let's get your credentials
2: first so we identify that you, are, you have some knowledge of the subject.
4: Yep, so I am a pathologist, infectious disease pathologist. Um, I run the microbiology lab here at uh, West Virginia University. And, you know, we make diagnoses of Lyme and other vector-borne disease illnesses pretty regularly. Hmm. But I should qualify, I, I don't actually see patients um, as a laboratorian, so I'm not on the front lines prescribing you know, medications or making clinical diagnoses
2: so like this would mean meaning what like what what like what give an example of the kind of stuff you're, you're typically doing
4: well so for um, you know uh, an infectious disease doc uh, sees a, a kid in the clinic and thinks he or she may have Lyme mm-hmm. um, so they will uh, collect the appropriate sample samples send them to our lab uh, and we will perform testing and either confirm their clinical suspicion or say you know it's it's not Lyme disease
2: so you've been on the show before, talking about a whole you know wide array of odd diseases. I mean, you see more than just Lyme. Obviously, you see all sorts of odd stuff.
4: Yeah, I mean, we see a lot of common stuff um, and some some odd stuff every now and again.
2: Right. So, hey, Rock has been on the show before. He he's actually lived down the street from me and. Uh, I always we, you find his job be endlessly interesting. But so this is how this 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 segment got started. I we were talking this is a while ago, maybe six months ago or something. I was talking with him and I was like, we need to get a Lyme's vaccine because I'm under the impression, you know, at the time that, you know, I knew a few people certainly I have a guy in mind who lives in our area who got Lyme's disease and could not get rid of it. You know, and he he called it chronic Lyme's disease and he looked wrecked you know and uh it's something that he'd been dealing with for, for a long time and it's something that you know if you live in the east coast certainly and i don't know how prevalent this is on the west coast but if you live in the east coast lyme disease is a thing i mean it's all around and ticks are all around it's just a matter of time before i got this and uh i'm thinking i'm gonna get this and i'm gonna get chronic lyme, and it's gonna ruin my life like it has these other people and Rocco, Rocker, Rocco's response was why? You shouldn't be worried about Lyme disease because you take penicillin and it goes away and I said well how about chronic Lyme as a thing and I'll let you take it from here uh, Rocco you said that
4: yeah. well uh, so it's doxycycline is the treatment of choice not, not mm-hmm. penicillin but the oh. um, yeah it's uh, so chronic Lyme disease I mean there, there are two, uh, two camps of, of thought on this um, and, and I don't want to dismiss you know outright the fact that people who legitimately have Lyme disease, who are treated with a full course of antibiotics, may have continued symptoms down the road. Um, we should point out, though that that's the small minority of people who, who actually have legitimate Lyme disease will go on to have, you know what's been termed chronic Lyme.
1: So wait a second. So does that mean that they have Lyme's disease or they have some kind of something messed up their something in their organs and the symptoms remain how how does that work like I, I a friend of my wife she had what they call a chronic Lyme's disease for like two years and I and I talked about this with Chelsea before you were going to come on the show and basically she was sleeping for like 20 hours a day and was super tired and all kinds of things and 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 it was just understood that she had chronic Lyme's disease what, yeah. what what does that mean what is that
4: well i mean that's the that's the million dollar question really um the by uh, by many practitioners what it means is that we haven't cleared the infection that there's there's you know symptoms persist therefore the infection must still you know be um you know ongoing and so the answer to that um in, in, in their view, is to give more antibiotics and more antibiotics and, you know, really long durations of antibiotics. Uh, at least that's one, one uh, uh, plan of approach. There are many other alternative therapies, I think, that people entertain. Um, but the real crux of the question is, you know, are the bacteria still present? Is the infection really lasting that long? And by really all accounts, there's very little Evidence to suggest that uh, that after the initial course, and certainly after an extended course of an IV antibiotic, um, which is sometimes given for more severe cases of you know of Lyme disease when it involves the brain or the heart, um, you know after that three-week course of antibiotics, there's very little evidence to suggest that there's uh, you know persistent Borrelia that the spirochetes still present. So there's all. There are other kinds of – there are other reasons that, uh, you know, that symptoms could persist, however. I mean, there are autoimmune phenomenon that occur um, after a variety of different kinds of infections um, that can lead to long-term symptoms. Um, but, again, it's it's pretty unusual for that to happen, um, and in and, and Lyme, it's certainly the minority of, of patients. And I should also point out, um, you know, there's – so you have – complaints of fatigue, um, you know, just general body aches, Um, symptoms are like, uh, you know, altered mentation. It's difficult to recall facts and that sort of thing. And those symptoms are are fairly nonspecific. They're completely subjective. So there's no way to actually measure an improvement, you know, from an outside, you know, from a doctor's perspective. Um, and it's nebulous. I mean, there are a lot of other diseases with similar vague symptomatology, and so it then also becomes difficult to actually track, you know, this quote-unquote chronic Lyme population, because it's muddied by, you know, potentially all these other um, psychosocial or, you know, um, you know, not clearly non-lyme-related symptoms that overlap. If that makes sense.
2: I mean, my takeaway from your conversation was that. These people who say they have chronic Lyme, they may have some kind of chronic problem, but it's not Lyme's disease. Am I understanding that correctly or no?
4: Yeah. Well, again, I mean, what do you mean by Lyme disease? Is it an an active Borrelia infection? I think probably not.
3: But Um, it's still seen... But it still seems probable or possible that it's something that was triggered by the initial Lyme disease. So whether or not it's indicative right. of something active in the body is is sort of academic in a way, right?
4: Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, certainly something that's you know continued continuing to be investigated, um, and for the people who suffer from it, you know, if it is clearly linked to a prior infection. Um, obviously, it's you know of practical importance, um, but I, I just think that <clears throat> there's a lot of momentum behind this idea that I had a tick bite and you know two years later I'm still not feeling like I used to, and I think it's kind of a stretch to 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 pin everything on um, uh, you know on the orig- on Lyme disease.
1: Interesting. So I,
4: I'm not a huge proponent of of the of the term chronic Lyme.
1: Interesting. So you, you, see it, you see it You see as gather. if someone comes in with the actual bug that gives you Lyme's disease, you feel like some high percentage of the time you can treat it and with a doxycycline or something like that, and it is gone from the mm-hmm. body, you cannot detect it. Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, can we back this up just, sure. just a little bit while we got you here? Because you are obviously a wealth of, of knowledge as people who play in the woods, go mountain biking, kayaking, that kind of thing, what what vector-borne illnesses are we looking at right now? And I also like the most common things that you see. What are the worst things you see? And then finally, seeing some articles lately that there's a big increase in these cases, is there actually more of these vector-borne diseases around or is there just more reporting of them?
4: Yeah, so Take the last question first, uh, because that's that's actually um, there was a CDC report a couple weeks ago that basically showed the uh, overall incidence, annual incidents over about a 15-year period, and uh, clearly the numbers are increasing. And I don't think there's any question to that. Um, you know, part of that, and I think there are a variety of factors that account for why we're seeing increases in these in these numbers. Uh, for Lyme. Uh, in particular I mean I think uh, more as as more people are made aware um, they're more likely to to go you know see a physician uh, for suspected cases or even following a tick bite even in the absence of you know clinical symptoms so there is you know more widespread recognition and therefore by default probably higher levels of reporting it's, it's almost certain that the numbers in that CDC report are are really only the tip of the iceberg of actual incidents. So it is probably, I mean, these things are probably much more common than CDC can actually record and, and tally. Um, in terms of, so there's, you know, population so people knowing of being aware of the disease. Um, you know, things like some of these novel emergent, uh, newly emergent organisms, um, you know, they've probably been around things like, um, John mentioned he was worried about heartland virus or bourbon virus.
2: That just sounds um, bad. And, it sounds like, a, like yeah. a medical experiment gone awry that escaped into the wild.
4: Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, clinically, these things are, uh, I mean, there's been very few cases of, of, of either of those diseases, but very severe, um, you know, high mortality rates. Um, and I, I think, you know, uh, diseases like this have probably been in the United States for some time. And, you know, our ability to really, uh, characterize novel pathogens, you know, things that we've never, you know, to discover something new is, you know, much better than it was 20 or 30 years ago, or even 10 years ago for that matter. So, you know, part of it is recognition of new things much more quickly as they emerge. Uh, and then obviously, I mean, uh, you know, climate surely plays a, a a factor. It's maybe not the single uh, most primary, you know, single primary reason, but um, but certainly is contributory to vector populations, right? So temperature and and humidity will, you know, factor into the the number of mosquitoes that are available to transmit certain viruses. So, yeah.
2: So we're talking ticks and and mosquitoes. These are the these are the things that are transmitting these diseases, right? Mm-hmm. And we're seeing more and more of these 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 diseases emerge. What, I mean, what kind of things should we, as people are on the outdoors a lot, what kind of things should we be looking out for? You know, what are the, as John was asking, what are the, where the real problems out there?
4: Um, well, just in terms of numbers, um, I mean, looking at the looking at what's most common. I mean, that's what you're going to see, that's what you're going to most likely be exposed to. Um, so, I mean, Lyme, um, it sort of depends on where you are, uh, because obviously the the, the prevalence of, of the causative organism and therefore the disease incidence is going to be, uh, you know, variable in different places in the country. So you mentioned the Pacific, you know, California and the Pacific Northwest, um, you know, there are a variety of factors that lead to less, um, you know, a lower incidence of Lyme in those regions. But, you know, I think lime is certainly something that, um, you know, you should be aware of. And obviously, um, you know, tick checks at the end of every day is probably a prudent uh, step for anybody who's trouncing through the woods. Um, you know, there are other less common Diseases, anaplasma or and the, the rickettsial agents. So, Rocky Mountain spotted fever. You guys are, f- I'm sure, are familiar with. Um, you know, it's not a very common disease, but you know, going back to the last conversation we had on on the last episode. I mean, I think you just need to be aware of um, you know the risk, and you know, if you have headaches and a rash, um, or you're feeling crummy, and you know, you could have been exposed to ticks, then don't ignore it. You know, that's the, I think the main talking point here.
2: So let's circle back to lions for a second, because I I know this is, I feel like this is kind of a, uh, you know, a hot topic of discussion, at least on, you know, outdoors people on the East coast. What, I mean, what should we make of this, of chronic Lyme's and people, you know, the, the, the diagnosis thereof? Is this something that we are, we're, we're clouding, you know, we're, we're clouding possible treatments for this by misdiagnosing as, as Lyme disease? Or, I mean, what, what, what do you think our takeaway should, from this should be?
4: Yeah, well, that's a, that's a great question because if there's, there's really, there, there's two, two layers to this. So there are the people who have bona fide Lyme disease, you know, mm-hmm. who meet testing criteria and are treated. Mm-hmm. And again, most of those, you know, have no untoward consequences. They recover and are perfectly healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, a small subset may go on to have continuous symptoms. Um, mm-hmm. But then there's a whole nother group who may probably never had Lyme to begin with, or at least didn't meet um, the strict testing definition of a laboratory confirmed case. Mm -hmm. And that gets to the, you know, a a major problem with Lyme and really many of these vector-borne pathogens. Mm -hmm. And that is that we, you know, unlike a a strep infection or a staph infection, where we detect, you know, the laboratory detects the organism from the patient. Mm -hmm. We recover it and we say, yes, you have this infection. Mm -hmm. Uh, For these groups of organisms, oftentimes we are not able to detect the pathogen itself. And so we look for um, a measure of the person's immune response having reacted to that particular pathogen. And so the problem then becomes that, you know, somebody may have an antibody response, an immune response to an organism, but it's not really the re- the same organism, um, but it can potentially cross-react in our laboratory tests. And so, you know, people will um, misinterpret laboratory results oftentimes and say, well, you know, it doesn't meet the strict criteria for Lyme positivity, but, you know, there are a few, there's at least partial reactivity, and so we're going to call that positive. And that's problematic.
2: Um, what do you say to people who, who have been sick with limes for years or, 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 you know, that's, you know, they're, they're, they're saying they've been sick with Lyme for years, what do you say to them? And they keep seeking treatment for Lyme's disease. Do you think they're they're chasing this chasing uh, uh, this this problem down the wrong way, or what's?
4: Yeah, well, I mean, that's what I, I don't want to come across as being you know unsympathetic to somebody who feels like they have a legit, legitimate legitimate uh, you know sequelae of, I, I guess, of a prior I guess. Mean, I guess. Infection. I guess.
2: I don't know. I mean, I mean, I have as I have the same impression of the medical profession as everyone else is that you kind of assume they're out to do to do the right thing, but mm-hmm. I, I is it possible? I mean, do you are you, is it possible that there's a group of doctors out there that are happy to keep treating this as Lyme's disease even though even though it's not? or you know, I mean, is that is that I mean, you know what I'm saying?
4: Yeah, that's certainly possible. I mean, I think every I'd like to believe that every practitioner has you know his or her patient's best interests at heart. Mm-hmm. And certainly there are plenty of anecdotal stories of you know, various therapies, having a positive impact on a particular patient. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if that's the case, if, if, you know, then that's a success story, irrespective of, you know, how it worked or why it worked. Um, and so I think, you know, there is a lot of that, certainly. Um, but, you know, on the flip side, I think, you know, and I'm a microbiologist, you know, an infectious disease person. And so some of the autoimmune things or the, the non-infectious complications, I can't really speak directly to. Mm-hmm. But what I can tell you is that um, when, you know, antibiotics are used for, for long extended, you know, treatment courses, mm-hmm. you've talked weeks, months, even years, mm-hmm. um, there are serious uh, drawbacks or downsides to, to that, um, you know, Aside from you know promoting antibiotic resistance for bacteria that live in, us, in us and on us, uh, there can be direct impacts of having you know a, a catheter for that amount of time directly into your into your into your veins, and um, you know there have been many reports of patients uh, being hospitalized due to complications of that ther- that type of therapy, mm-hmm. uh, even deaths related to it. It's not all bells and whistles.
1: Do, do people ever just get over Lyme's disease without any medication? Can you just like kick it like a cold? Yeah. Huh.
4: That's a good question. Uh, you know, probably so, but I, I'm, complete, I'm speculating. And, but the reason I say probably is because, you know, many people will have been exposed and not develop symptoms. Uh, not certainly not seek uh, medical care and and not get antibiotics, um, but I, but I don't know. That's pure speculation. Uh, is it, there... It's similar to syphilis, right? I mean, the organism itself is a cousin of the organism that causes syphilis, and that's generally not something that we think of as um, you know self-limited. If somebody doesn't undergo therapy with that spirochete, they're they're not gonna they're not gonna you know cure it themselves.
2: So is there a problem with not treating limes, like if you're, you're sick with limes for years and don't get treatment, does that create another set of complications, you know, long-duration time, long duration yeah. untreated Lyme disease? Does it get worse and worse yeah. and worse and really screw you up?
4: Right. So the, the natural history of the disease um, was really – I mean that led to its discovery actually was – you know, people being naturally infected and not being treated during the early, you know, bullseye rash uh, phase. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yes, uh, I mean, the organism is inoculated by the tick. It spreads, you know, locally through the skin. Mm-hmm. But once it um, reaches the bloodstream, it kind of goes all over. And certainly the, the secondary phase of disease where, um, you know, a small proportion of patients will have infection in their heart. Um, and it can actually cause what's called a, a heart block. So you get uh, basically de sequencing of your right side and left side, your atria and your ventricles, and you can die of cardiac arrhythmia. Um, you know, it can go to the, it has definitely does go to the CNS, to the brain and the layers surrounding the brain, and that can cause pretty severe disease if left untreated. So. Yeah, you not. I mean, it's not something you want to you want to try to fight on your own for sure.
3: Man, scary, scary stuff. Well, you teased this as chronic well, Lyme's disease isn't a real thing. And I'm more I am know terrified than ever.
4: Well, I,
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I have to get some clickbait at the beginning of the show. I <laughs> think people engaged. Yeah. Uh, so, as a takeaway, so I, I guess what you're saying is by and large that if we're outside and we should do tick checks, and if we start getting the symptoms you would normally associate with this kind of thing rashes, or this bullseye ring, or aches and pains we should go and get tested. Yep. And the
4: test. Yeah, and fever. So- I mean, fever for any reason that you can't explain, and particularly if it lasts a day or two.
2: Right. And so, in. And and you should and the treatment for this is relatively straightforward and for a vast majority of people it should work without any problem
1: at all.
3: That's correct. Does DEET fend off ticks?
4: Oh
1: yeah, I know that one. All right.
4: What was it? Oh yeah. Does DEET? Yeah. I I don't know if there's I don't know my acaricide that well. I think I think it does.
1: <laughs> I'm gonna say it does. All right. So,
2: so. so, Doc, I think,
1: I think last show I asked you this, but was, was Lyme disease created by the government on an island off the coast of Connecticut?
2: Mm, yeah.
1: Thank you for bringing that up, John. <laughs> I'm just trying to get to the bottom of this because people say it isn't, and a lot of people tell me it is. <laughs> I mean, when was the first reported case of Lyme disease, and why is it spreading why is it it seem like it's spreading like wildfire? When I look at that CDC report and I look and I just, you know, read some articles about this and I see like the red all over the map, like Mm -hmm. how does a disease just start like that? And how does, how does, I mean, is there kind of any evidence about how a pathogen starts like that and then just comes out of nowhere? Well, I mean, there's,
4: there are a couple different modes. So, I mean, this was discovered in the, in the late seventies in Connecticut, um, it had probably, actually, it, it um, in all likelihood had been here for a long time prior to that. There are older reports that predate its, you know, discovery in the 70s s, uh, describing clinical symptoms that certainly suggest that uh, that it was a Lyme-like disease in Europe. Uh, so it's it's been around for a long time. Um, and again, you know, so so what leads to the increase? You know, more recognition, more reporting. Um, more misdiagnosis potentially. And then there's no doubt that the vector, the the black-legged tick is increasing, expanding its geographic territory. Um, But there's so many factors that go into tick-borne diseases in particular that it's really hard to put your finger on one, you know, one reason that we're seeing this elevated uh, incidence. Now, mosquito-borne diseases are very different. I mean, those are epidemic. And uh, and so Zika, for instance, was, you know, introduced into this continent uh, recently, and it just, you know, exploded because there's, you know, co- uh, mosquito vectors that can transmit it easily, plenty of susceptible hosts, and it just takes off like wildfire. Same with West Nile virus, you know, back in the late 90s, early 2000s.
1: When are we going to see cases of uh, maniasis here in the States?
4: Oh, Probably, uh, Mid-August.
1: probably never. <laughs> yeah. Let's just hope not because, because God. man, that is a savage, savage thing.
2: So, one last thing, uh, I was at Cheat Fest this weekend and I was approached by a guy named Big D who works for Piranha. And if you close your eyes and imagine a guy from the South named Big D, you are <laughs> seeing exactly what he looks like. Uh, but he. He said that he had not eaten red meat uh, in over a year, which, if you know Big D and you've seen Big D, you realize that's a serious conflict. Uh, but because he had been bit by a tick, that somehow gave him an allergy to red meat. And I immediately ran over to you thinking, fake news. Mm-hmm. And you, you,
1: uh, you, um, Validated Big D. Yeah, what is this? This is this is this is this is weird. Yeah.
4: Well first of all I should confess that I sort of poo-pooed the whole thing initially myself. Um I had not heard of it until until John mentioned it and uh and so started investigating it last night and it seems like a, a legitimate thing. That's it was actually described in Australia a couple decades ago and hypothesized to be related to tick bites, and sure enough um, I mean, they're still working out the details, uh, but it's a it's a tick. It's a uh, not the same tick that transmits Lyme, uh, but one that you see more commonly down in the south.
1: And
5: dog uh, tick
4: called the Lone Star tick. Lone I'm Star sorry.
1: tick. Lone Star tick. I That's know it. those.
4: Yeah, yeah, and they're a little, uh, unlike Lyme, uh, uh, ixodes, which kind of just hang out and wait for for things to pass by, and they just kind of clutch onto them and and attached. That's how um, I found my wife, by the way. That exact technique. Yeah. <laughs> the lone sorry. star stick, stick actually can sense uh, sense vibrations and heat, and will will sort of hone in on things.
2: That's how Grace found um, his but... wife.
1: <laughs> see, <laughs> well, sorry. see, well, this is why our viewers are writing in and being like, "Can we just get a little deeper than talking about shark versus bear?" Right, I know. So, I know. <laughs> I'm
2: oh, um, sorry. <laughs> right. So, so. So it's a real thing, and so th- I mean, there's actually a lot of people with this problem. I mean, it's not, from the article I sent you. It sounded like this is like a legitimate thing. I mean, it's
1: yeah, geez, this yeah. is just horrible stuff. It, I had, yeah, I mean, there are thousands. I had. And what, th-
2: how does it work exactly? I mean, briefly, it, it you get bit by this lone star tick, and then what happens?
4: Yeah, so you're exposed to this uh, carbohydrate that um, people that we don't make, okay, and so anything that we don't make that we're exposed to that our, our immune system is exposed to. Um, rate and immune response Mm -hmm. and you know i think what they're still trying to work out is whether it's coming from the tick you know the saliva in the tick uh potentially an organism hosted by the 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 tick is carrying or possibly from a prior uh blood meal although to me that seems unlikely but but they're still trying to figure out where the uh exposure you know the source exposure is coming from but Essentially, I mean, you're exposed to it, your immune system um, sees it as abnormal, mounts a a very particular type of immune response that, um, you know, upon re-exposure, you know, it leads to anaphylaxis, this, you know, systemic uh, flushing and rash and potentially airway disturbances.
1: Hmm. Yeah. I may just stay inside. Real quick, quick, Doc, before we we let you go. Um, The other day I was doing some trail work, and I did some bushwhacking between trails rather than walk around. I did like a cut through up the side of the hill, and I ended up with three ticks. And they got me kind of like in my crotch area. Mm. And uh, (laughs) I pulled them all off. But there was like a little bump where one was. Now I've been monitoring it. There's no rash or anything, but like, like how do you know if you did? Pro- like how do you? Like I know the ring of the of the disease and whatever. But how do I know I'm I'm all in the clear? Like I'm not sick. I don't have any rash or anything there. But like, there's a there's still like a bump. Like mm-hmm. what? Like at what point do I need to go to the doctor? Like and this is uh, for me and for our listeners out there. Like how do you? How do you know if you've gotten something from a tick, or is yeah
4: I, well uh you you don't is the short answer i mean you you sort of have to just uh watch and wait um now you you want to make sure when you the the i mean did you examine the ticks once you'd pulled them out and you made sure that you got all the mouth parts
1: man, I just plucked them out, I was kind of freaked out just kind of acted like it didn't you didn't get happen. the mouth yeah. parts, did you I got the mouth parts i I'm, I thought I did you know, like I was super. I was into it, but I don't know if I got the mouth parts. I really don't. I just know yeah. there's one little bump, and it's like a tiny bump. Doesn't hurt or anything like that, but it's definitely got me a little freaked out. Especially after this conversation.
2: I bet the tick was a little freaked out too.
1: <laughs> I'm really trying to get to the answer. Like, how, like, like, how do we know if we're if I'm infected? What am I looking for? Like.
4: Well, it, it depends on what the tick is and what it could potentially transmit because, you know, Rocky Mountain spotted fever and Ehrlichia and Lyme are very, very different illnesses, um, which would present very differently. So you, you really, you really don't know. Um, there are, there's, you know, a, we won't have to go into this, but there's a, a mound of literature on prophylaxis, on, you know, whether you should, after a tick bite, receive antibiotics to prevent an infection. Um, but, you know, short of just waiting to see if you develop symptoms, I don't really have any good advice.
1: It was last Thursday. So you, you want to
4: make sure you get all of the tick out because, I mean, that's probably the more common reason to have a localized inflammatory reaction at the at the site.
1: How many days am I looking at? Like it's been, it was last Thursday. So what, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. <laughs> am I in the clear yet? Like. Like You're looking do, a little peaked there, Grace. Oh, come on. Right. I'm, I'm really trying to figure this out. Like, is this – how many days – I mean, when, when you get a tick bite, can you say, okay, nothing showed up after a week, I'm in the clear? Or can you – like, typically these diseases. I, I might give it 10
4: days. 10, 10
1: days. 10 days, two weeks. I think beyond that, you'd be pretty safe.
4: Okay.
2: All right. Well, That's, you've done it again. You scared us shitless. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. You're welcome. Thank you.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for coming on the yeah. Hammer Factor, Thanks, Dr. Rocco. Really good, guys. Seriously. Yeah, I, mean, yeah. I know talk you're a busy man. Later. That's Take awesome. Care. I mean, I know that's a little, like, not cool to talk about, but I'm, like, seriously a little worried about this. I'm just,
3: I'm just laughing at John Grace anxiously staring at his crotch and wondering if something's going to cry. you get some like, like, flashbacks like... to college or something there, Grace?
2: Uh, uh, that... Chelsea! <laughs> Chelsea! <laughs> Come look at this! Does this look infected?
1: <laughs> well. Alright, let's get... finish these emails up and get to us over here, going. If you guys were staring what I was staring at, you'd be worried, too. Oh. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay, back on point here. Um, let's get into this boat dynamics here. Okay, this is from Jordan Loose. All right, <clears throat> um, Jordan says, "What up, Hammer Factor?" I'll get right to the meat of this. Uh, he says, "To give a brief, uh, to give a brief background on me, my education is in chemical engineering, in which we take a lot of fluid dynamics classes, so I can sound like I know what I'm talking about." My idea for building a faster whitewater boat comes from thinking of local versus global architecture. I thought this was interesting. Um, to go back a second, this was in discussion of last um, our last episode where we talked, we broke down. Um, we had Kenny Unser on, our in-house statistician, to talk about everything green race and speed and progression and that kind of thing. Um, He says, the greatest example I can think of to demonstrate what I'm talking about is with the golf ball. When someone wanted to make a golf ball go further, they didn't change the spherical shape of the ball, global architecture. They changed the surface of the ball to be dimpled surface rather than the flat surface, local architecture. If we take this thinking and apply it to kayaking, we have a ton of changes in global architecture. Edge variations, rocker profile, overall boat shape, but very little architecture. He has some links here. Um, He talks about the dimple idea that works on boats um, and the different forces and flow types at play. This will all be in the show notes. Um, The dimple idea is just one. I think there are several other local architectures, including riblets, which I had never heard about until I read this article, um, which this is something you can just stick on the bottom of your boat rather than carving it in or making a new mold that would uh, decrease times as well. Um, Links to a story from Epic Kayaks. Um, One last – okay, and this is super interesting. I want to throw this over to you. And then he finishes with one last question. If your only choice to be on the water forever were creature crafting, supping, or riverboarding, which would you choose? Or would you never go back to the water? Stay east of Jordan. So let's answer that one first.
2: I mean that's like saying would you – if you could take a, a, a nothing but a sled to a ski resort, would you continue to go to the ski resort, or would you just call it call it a day?
1: I'd keep going. You'd take the sled. I'd take my SCP. Keltman, uh... you seem
2: completely stymied by this question.
3: <laughs> it sounds like a lot like fuck Mary Kill to me. <laughs> Okay, that's what we should be doing here. All right.
2: First of all, let's get back to the boat design. Corin Addison put golf ball divots on the bottom of one of his boats. The Savage Fury. Remember that? The Fury. And what happened to that? I mean, Corin was already on this tip like 20
3: years ago. Here's the thing. I think none of that stuff, I think it all matters if you go into the literature when you're going much faster than you're ever going at a kayak, except maybe when you're planning on a wave or maybe when you're planning coming out of a drop. And the rest of the time, I'm not sure that this stuff actually makes that big of a difference but i'm sure it would make a difference if you just like sanded the shit out of your boat and took all the little burrs off from like every scratch but like to me beyond that it's like the low-hanging fruit here is like it's like just build a composite boat it's like you don't need anything that came from like the department of defense or like like some crazy 3m product that you have to like i mean you don't you could you could go to the store right now and buy the materials that you need to build yourself a 20-pound green boat. And, like, you're going to, like, no matter how fast you are, you're going to knock, like, 15 seconds off your time. Like, anyone can do that this year. (laughs) No, wrong. Having
2: built many boats, (laughs) having built many boats, all you would do is waste about $300 and get a huge glob of resin in your hair that would be cut out of your head, and then that would be the end of that, and you'd have a a huge mess in your yard.
3: Okay, with some dedicated... (laughs) hobbyist time you two can build a composite boat and it'll be fast like i mean it's just like it...
2: no, okay i won't even take this just a further step back this nerd is just trying to ruin our doping scheme for the green race that's all there is to it
1: listen if we combine the doping with the riblets we're unstoppable <clears throat> i'm just saying the riblets thing is cool you got to read that article
2: I think it'd be like intimidating from a psychological standpoint I will, take, I, some I will take you jacked up on human growth hormone showing up as a put in with, with a ribbed boat. It's all over. <laughs> oh.
3: I will give you riblets and HGH, and I'll take a composite boat, and I, I'm,
1: I'll take the composite boat every day. Oh, you're on. You're so on. <laughs> I don't know. The riblets are interesting. You got to check that I just article to out. Say riblets. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there's that too. <laughs> but I, when I mean, does a rib become a riblet? Is there a standard for that? Well, I like where Jordan's going with this, and I think like there's a legitimate like looking out, you know, local architecture versus you know what was the other art, global architecture. I mean, I think there's a legit point there. I think that like maybe it's time, after all the changes and whatever, to to see if there's some other little nuance there.
3: To me, but that's interesting. Skipping the big nuance and going straight to the little nuance, it's like there's just like, ah. like polyethylene is. I, I sucks. think I think Lewis. I
2: think Lewis. I think Lewis has a point here. Honestly, if if there was a way to do this kind of change to a whole design, it would have happened in the past twenty years, and it would have stuck. You know what I mean? We're not that ignorant. I mean we're not we're not that backass words in in paddle sports, so we would have some influence from real science I mean,
3: coming. The thing about the riblets thing is it's like you know, it's like you're basically putting a powder on the bottom of a boat and after you know, after three green runs, it's all gonna be scuffed off anyway. So it's like and if you if you get the three M sticker, you're gonna have worn it off before you get to the first rapid because it's nothing but rocks and just there you go <laughs> 8288
2: <laughs> if you could paddle nothing but a creature craft or the green river narrows every day
1: <laughs> what would you pick <laughs> I'm gonna pop my latest HGH and get ready list
2: can, can we go into uh, Buena Vista <sighs> this, this email we got from BV
1: this comes at us from Mike Harvey um Hey, boys, I need Weld's shipping address to send him an Achieve Earl shirt. Weld gave us all here in the Upper Arc Valley who love and admire Earl the vocabulary we needed to describe the path we have been walking. Now Mm. we understand clearly that the thing which previously had been so hard to give a name, which we are all striving for, is Achieving Earl. Thank you, Weld, for crystallizing our journey so clearly for us. Perhaps the next level beyond Earl is Weld. One step at a time, Grasshopper. Hmm. And that was sent from his iPhone. I mean, <laughs> anyway.
3: I, man, I if was like, so qu- fired up about this email. I like, <laughs> I don't, I, I don't know Earl. I don't know anything about any of this, but just the fact that there are people listening to this at all is amazing. But something that was said on his podcast and turned it into a t shirt, like,
1: man. Oh, uh, great design. I mean, what do you think, Weld? Is there going to be an achieving Weld?
2: No. I think Earl's where we're going to stop on that one. BV's a weird place. I don't think there's any question about that. I think we're learning more and more about BV the deeper we dive into this. I agree. You know, I, there's I was, a whole yeah. I mean, there's a whole there's Earl, but then there's a dialectical force to Earl. I've studied this. I've, I've studied this at length, and the dialectical force is Selby. It's not an evil force. It's like the anti-Earl.
1: So there's like, and they're right there on top of each other. Like it's like the, yeah, yin, it's and like the yin and the yang. Exactly. And then Earl is now working for Selby. Right?
5: I don't wow. know. You could wow. study this
1: for
2: years and never have an answer.
1: Wow. Wow.
5: Mm. Yep.
1: Final email okay. here. This comes at us from Josh Walden. Hey guys, what is up with people in the bo- boating world saying ja? I mean, I understand what the word means after using Google. A lot of times people will put it in front of another word and that makes sense, like ja bless. But then it seems like they start using it out of context, like Jaw Rapids, Jaw Waterfall, and it doesn't make any sense. I don't know why it annoys me. I guess it's because I'm getting older. Who knows? Well, let's bring on Max
2: Blackburn. Who better to ask a Jaw question than Max Blackburn?
1: Now now, now give us a little background here on why Max is the guy for this. Well... Okay. First
2: of all, he may have been our worst guest ever, but we've had numerous calls for his return so he could seek redemption.
1: We've had way worse guests than Max. Yeah. yeah? Max may have like saved that show, to be honest. I laughed
3: way. I measure (laughs) the quality of the guests by how much laughing we're doing.
2: All right. Okay. (laughs) Um. But also, Max lives in the. I mean, he is in the. Epicenter of the the jaw the the jaw movement, wouldn't
3: you say? Jaw Columbia River Gorge, right? Jaw Gorge. Well, I mean, before
1: right. we call them, does anybody have any kind of answer that they'd like to throw out there?
2: I mean, I don't know. Out east, we I think we just kind of like I don't know, we think it's ridiculous.
1: It is ridiculous.
2: Oh, yeah, don't
1: you? You guys are so square. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> Let's get, let's, get, let's get Stein on the phone here and figure this out. What? Max Blackburn, you're on the Hammer Factor. Oh, what do you know? <laughs> <laughs> and he's back. All right, so I'm going to get right into this. This comes from Josh Walden. Um, we, were decide- we decided you were the guy to answer this. He says, Josh says, hey, guys, what's up with people in the boating world saying ja? I mean, understand what the word means. After googling, a lot of times people will put it in front of another word and that makes sense, like jaw bless. But then it seems like they start using it out of context, like jaw rapids, jaw waterfall, and it doesn't make any sense. I don't know why it annoys me. I guess it's because I'm getting older. Who knows? What's up with (laughs) jaw and how do we, how do we bring Josh? How how do we, how do we describe this?
3: He's missing an opportunity there if he's still spelling his name J-O-S-H. Indeed. <laughs> yeah, that's one for sure.
0: Um, you know, I'm a little surprised that you guys would have outsourced this to uh, um, to an outside correspondent, given that, at least in my opinion, I think you probably trace the use of the word "jaw" in the kayaking community back to the T Dub crew and the early LVMs.
1: Um, really? Is this true? I, this is this is one hundred percent true. But you know what? I'm going really to, yeah.
0: yeah I'm... Well, yeah. So as a, as a young young up and coming kayaker in my uh, adolescent teenage years, I was pretty into the LVMs, as were a few of my friends. And one of our favorite aspects of them were the uh, the reggae beats or reggae vibes that you could always count on hearing, at least in those earlier ones. Um, and then, you know, Ja is the Rastafarian name for God, and, um, you know, Rastafarianism and reggae are intertwined, both coming from Jamaica, and, you know, I think regardless of how people felt about the Rastafarian faith or theology, you know, the, the music in general had such a positive vibe to it that... You know, you listen to it all the way to the put-in. You get to the put-in, and you know, water levels are good. The sun is shining, and, you know, you'd be pretty hard-pressed not to feel like you're ready to praise Jah and feeling pretty blessed, <laughs> and I don't know how so, that, that caught on. And can I'm, we use Jah in sure a couple sentences that, are...
2: that may, like, highlight different uses of this word?
0: Um... Yeah, I guess, I mean, Jaw Bless and Praise Jaw would be the obvious ones, but...
2: Like, when would you say uh, that? Just
0: like... Jaw before an object would just be, you know, an accentuation of, you know, the positive nature of that object. So, like... as, as Josh was getting to, you know, Jaw River, you wouldn't say Jaw River when talking about a river that you're not particularly excited about.
1: Um, hmm. Do you ever like, yeah. like, like have your cat or your like jaw cat? <laughs> I mean, is that legit?
0: Um, I don't know if my feelings about the cat are strong enough to, uh, to use the term jaw, huh?
1: But he's a grand cat, That's he is a good on.
3: cat. We're not as, not as cool not, as Jaw Lion. That's
0: the thing. Is a Jaw Cat just doesn't have a good ring to it? So I was going to be referring to the cat. You know, naturally, Lion would be coming after the workshop.
1: But they haven't seen how big the cat is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, say it actually. Am I
0: right? That this is the? I mean, am I tracing this back to the the proper roots here? Oh yeah. yeah. There's
1: there's definitely some jaw rids in, uh, in the in the in the LVM. <laughs> And I think that really, I mean, think- to, get, to get to the bottom of this, we need to bring the Reverend on the show at some point, and we will do this. We need to bring the Reverend Billy Jones on the show because Absolutely. he is he a grandmaster. He can massive. shed jaw light for sure. Exactly. There can be jaw light. There can be so much jaw <laughs> that can be spread from jaw Jones. Do you think, do
2: you think this, this, uh, this term is going to hit – a, a peak and then just fall out of fashion, like so many other expressions in paddle sports. Or do you think it's here to stay,
1: oh, dude? It's been should here paddlers for, just like, just accept years. the fact that it is that it is here. Oh, it's here. You know, Max.
2: Yeah, I have a hard
0: time seeing it go away. Um, what if you hate? I reg- put it in the category of of church. You know, like how how far do you guys
3: see? Church going, how long do you see that? I thought church around? was dead. I thought church
1: is only used ironically yeah. right. anymore,
2: right? I thought it was on the way out. You know, it's church funny,
1: has. it's funny we're talking about this jaw because Woody called me one day. He's like, Grace, what's up? I'm like, oh, nothing. He's like, what the fuck is up with this jaw shit? <laughs> <laughs> so, so there, there may be more people with that opinion out there than I know, but you know, I think that I think you have shed light on this. You know, Max, and I think that it's well understood at this point. Did, does anybody have any other questions?
2: No, I feel like he was 180 degrees on this call from the last one, my opinion. <laughs> I think he delivered.
1: All right. Thanks for coming on, Max, and clearing no, up thanks, everything in Jaw World. And, uh, <laughs> man, job. loss
0: my, my pleasure. All right. I'll Thank talk you. to you, Ben. Thank you for having me. Thanks,
1: dude.
3: Right. Bye.
1: Let's get on to uh, Anonymous Boat Review Guy. I know that he has been t- trying all kinds of boats, and, uh, and we're going to get right into this. So for, for those of you not in the know,
2: ABRG came about because we felt like boat reviews were an important part of this program. However, the three of us were too chicken shit to bust out our pals in the industry. So we thought we'd just find somebody to come on to do an anonymous boat review.
1: And what we have is not only your typical Slicey Boat Review, but we have half-slice boats, like the BRAP and the Axiom Ripper Antics. And then we have the full-slice boats, like the Loki and the Home Slice and the Mixmaster. All right. Anonymous Boat Review Guy, are you there?
5: Yeah. Hi, guys. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well,
2: <laughs>
1: well, you, sound, <laughs> you sound a little bit better this time.
5: <laughs> yeah. Go yeah. yeah. Gone over cold. Happy to be back, though.
1: (laughs) Well, it's great to have you back on the show, um, Anonymous Boat Review Guy. And uh, I I believe that you've had some time in the slicey boats, and I'd like to just throw it over to you right now and uh, and let us know what you think. Let's start with the half-slice boats.
5: Yeah, I'm so excited to be um, seeing these late 90s and early 2000s making a comeback. Uh, I even bleached my spiky hair this morning. um, Sweet. You know, but by now, even relative newcomers to the sport have seen river running slicey designs descended from boats like Dagger's RPM. Uh, These boats are characterized by squash tail and a more high volume bow, and uh, we'll call them the half slice designs. Um, and And even though Dagger's own RPM resurrection, the Axiom, was quietly gaining fans among beaters and instructors starting back in 2012. <laughs> um, we, we really have to give credit to Pat Keller and the Liquid Logic boys for breathing new life into the half-slice design concept with the 2015 introduction of the BRAP. Okay, true enough. Yeah, so the, the BRAP is a is an agile shit runner that should tap into vertical moves It will make you look good and have fun on the river. Uh, It's more fun than a creek boat and gives you a taste of both slalom and freestyle. Uh, The BRAP got a bunch of hype last year with spurious claims about its potential for dominance at Sickline. Um, But it turns out that sneaker marketing budgets dominated SICKLINE, and you won't have to hear more about that bullshit until Red Bull or someone else decides to throw some money away on kayak sponsorships. Okay, 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 all right. Enough. Um, But, uh, you know, Dagger's Axiom is actually a better playboat than even the factory-squashed Party Brat. Um, Within the half-slice category, the Axiom might be the best choice to spice up your local Class 3-4 run, but it's more of a beater-pleaser that doesn't belong in the Class 5 realm. Mm -hmm. Um, And and that that leaves a lot of room between the BRAP and the Axiom for a boat that can both handle rapids and throw down. Uh, Piranha's Ripper really fills that gap nicely. It surfs great, it squirts easily and vertically, It's fun and solid in rapids. It's definitely my number one choice among the modern slicey river runners. Okay, where does the antics fit
1: into your equation?
5: Um, Well, Piranha killed it with the ripper. Jackson's awkward attempt just doesn't cut it. They compromise (laughs) the fun out of this boat. The antics is a mediocre river runner and a laborious dud in the vertical realm. It's slow, (laughs) it's bloated, and just generally paddles like an anvil. (laughs) okay so if if you had to
1: rate the brap axiom ripper and antics one two three and four give us give us your rundown
5: i I think it's going to come down to your style a a good summary would be that the ripper is the best all around the brap is going to be a better choice for shit runners while the axiom is the best playboat of the bunch the jackson antics just isn't worthy of consideration But I would say, before you buy a half-slice boat, definitely demo. Between models and sizing, there's a lot of nuance. There are some very visible differences in the shapes of the various ripper sizes. The BRAP offers that factory squash party BRAP, and with four sizes of Axiom, I'd recommend sizing down to really tap its squirting potential. Okay. (laughs) Let me ask
1: you, before we get into the full slicey boats here, um, anonymous boat review guy, how do you feel about um, only being one size brap and the Ripper having three sizes? Do you feel like this has added to the credibility of the Ripper?
5: I, I think that the Ripper is really attacking the market, and uh, it's, a, it's a great boat. I think that it's, it offers more for more people, um, and it's, um, it's going to be a better surfer. It's got that great, um, great hull, and I, I think it's going to be a real hit. Okay, moving on to Full Slice. Describe
1: what the Full Slice is and give us a rundown of these boats.
5: Sure. So, after three years of Slicey sterns, I guess it was only a matter of time before the people demanded bow squirts. So grab your Roses and set your ring back to Kid Rock because the hot trend of 2018 is Full Slice.
1: All right, so our players in this game... There are the Piranha Loki, the Liquid Logic uh, recently released Home Slice, and the Jackson Mixmaster.
5: Right, and let's just start with the Loki. Just like the Axiom sat quietly in the corner waiting for trends to catch up, Piranha introduced the relatively unnoticed Loki back in 2013. A few Piranha loyalists took notice, but the Loki failed to start a slice revolution. The Loki is a decent offering, but its head start probably won't count for much in the full slice design race. It's, it's really liquid logic that is thrown down the gauntlet in the slicey mick boat war.
1: Okay, interesting. And so, you, so you're feeling strongly that the home slice is going to be a better tool.
5: Yeah, the new home slice has something to show for 10 plus years of thoughtful reconsideration. It has all kinds of instant gratification with easy and balanced vertical ends in flat water. Add current for effortless transitions and dynamic moves. It carves well and edges uh, through current for agile downriver performance. It's a boat you can enjoy on day one, and it lets you untap its potential to trade paddle strokes for finesse as you learn to let the river do the work. Wow.
1: Okay. And uh, And then the Mixmaster, the Jackson Mixmaster.
5: Yeah, the, Jick, the Jackson Mixmaster is really just a slightly modernized Easy with worse outfitting and weaker plastic.
3: <laughs> <laughs> okay, the story starts yeah. the theme here.
5: Uh, well, it squirts easily on both bow and stern. Transitioning to that second end is much sloppier in the Mixmaster versus the Home Slice. When vertical, the Mixmaster wants to rotate to a split wheel or pirouette into a face flop more than it wants to give up that clean cartwheel. It throws ends at a noticeably low angle, and it generally doesn't interact gracefully with the river. It requires active paddle control to make moves and just basically sucks the style out of freestyle. Okay. okay. How are
2: these boats in terms of comfort? Like if I have to pedal the golly all day... Are any of these boats gonna kill my feet like the old
1: Session Plus? Yeah, that's or, a good good point. Back in the day, Centrifuge, Triple X, you couldn't sit in them for very long.
5: Yeah, sitting in these boats is a lot more, the, the modern boats is a lot more comfortable. Um, and I, I found that in, in, um, in all three of the, the Loki, the Home Slice and the Mixmaster. Um, so, you know, if, if, you, uh, if you're not too tall, you can fit in there with shoes um, and, and really have a good time.
1: Hmm. Interesting okay so let's go ahead and rate these full slicers
5: um sure the bottom line is the home slice is the clear winner it's worthy of investing in new technology while the mixmaster, master by contrast is a, uh worse than most of the decade old full slice boats on the secondary market until dagger or somebody else comes late to this party liquid logic stands alone oh, wow okay all right well Man, I love it. Saying it like it is. Like nobody ever
3: could.
1: Yeah. Yeah, There's the answer. I'm super excited to get out and try some home slicing now. Um, ABRG, would you be interested in sticking around on the show for our Rants and Raves segment?
5: Sure, I've got plenty of things to rant and rave about.
1: Okay, (laughs) well, (laughs) um, let's go ahead and open up our rants and raves. Um, We here at Liquid Logic would like to share a rave, since they are sponsoring the rants and raves section. We'd like to rave about Grace Weld and Geltman for getting together and making the Hammer Factor happen. It's been a salty, hilarious, and informative ride. We'd also like to say thanks to the props and thoughts on our boats here on the show. Calling the BRAP the... Boat that save kayaking is a great compliment, which we didn't think was possible from Weld. And just so you all know, we have a couple more boats coming out this spring. The smaller Delta V, the 73, is coming into production as we speak. If you don't know about the Deltas, they're across between the Brap and the halfway Series, a boat that Grace spent a ton of time in. Also coming out this spring is the Home Slice, which we just got a little bit of a review on, our version of Old School Slicey Fun, with modern a modern surf hull, and shoes-fitting comfort. Maybe someday Geltman will understand comfort. Cheers, fellas, and keep up the great show. Big thanks to Liquid Logic for sponsoring the Hammer Factor. And uh, before we get into these rants and raves, ABRG, are, are we going to hear any more reviews? Do you have any plans to bring us anything else in the future?
5: Well, I've been creaking a bunch this spring. I'd love to come back and give the final word on which creek boats are best for you. Uh That'll be great. I think,
2: I mean, this is your America's favorite. You're the most requested segment of the show, I you, would think. You,
1: you have no yeah, idea. I it. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Who would like to lead us off here with our rants and raves? Lewis, you had a little uh, rant. Come on, Galvin. Yeah, on you were kind of fired up. Come on, <clears throat> lay it out there.
3: Let's go, man. Man, I've like I've, I've talked about this before and I'm just gonna go ahead and rant again about kayak outfitting. It is so fucking shitty. I have a month old boat and I snap the backband in a month. And like that that shit is unacceptable. It's like you need to make that shit like it's a climbing harness. Like like it's I mean if you snap your backband in the middle of doing something consequential, like you could be in like seriously up shit creek. And, like, I know the guys who are designing these boats and building these boats, they're shit runners, And, like, they know what's up. And there's no fucking excuse for putting a backband on a boat using shitty flat webbing that's going to snap in a month. It's, like, just patently unacceptable. And, I mean, there's a lot of other things that are, like, uh, comfort versus performance or whatever. And I'm, I obviously have a lot of opinions about that stuff. But, like like, this is a legitimate safety issue. And it's a shitty place to cheap out on your kayak, like, Use some fucking tubular webbing. That's what I got. Damn.
1: I good love it. one. Good one. That was that was that was a good one. That's, and I agree that's with that. True. Did you yeah. cra- did you crash or something, Lewis? Or did it no, was no. it just normal paddling?
3: I was just like getting out of my boat and like pushing back on the backband as I was getting out of the boat and it snapped.
2: So we were talking about this before the show, and this is I don't know, this is doesn't really address what you're talking about, but I will say, you know, IR makes a lot of backbands for people. And we have ha- you know, we have to, um, engineer the backbands to break before the boat will break. Cause a lot of times, you know, we'll, 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 we'll do an OEM backband for a company and we'll have to test their seat and stuff and see when it's the seat's going to tear. And we don't want the seat to get ruined or the boat, hold, the bolt hole to pull through the, the the plastic on the top of the boat. And so we'll actually engineer the backband to snap before that.
3: Do you have a, I mean, do you have a, a, a number in mind for like what you consider to be the minimum strength for the whole operation?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's a couple like of weak points stuff. We have a. Well, it was kind of a crazy test we would do. We would uh, we had we would attach. Uh, we had one of these these industrial scales, and we would uh, tow a dumpster um, with one of our trucks and uh, put the various backband parts in there and measure when they broke, and then we would. Gauge that against tearing stuff through various boat, boat holes and uh, boat hulls and seat posts and receipt seat towers and stuff like that.
3: And was there was there a point when you would tell the kayak manufacturer you got to make the seat stronger because this is unacceptable?
2: Yeah, you do. And a lot of times you you I mean w- with bigger companies you're just dealing with a purchasing person or you know people like well the, the cost of the boat is not is prohibitive for this. I mean to
3: me that's the thing is it's. It's just like like whatever the weak point is, the whole system has to be strong enough. That's right. It. Like, I guess the point of all this it. is
2: it needs to be it needs to be a a holistic approach to fixing this problem.
3: Yeah, I, I believe you, but I'm just like it is like it is just totally unacceptable. Right. Like totally unacceptable.
1: Okay. Um. All right. I'll I'll jump in here. I'm gonna rant about and this is off topic. I always have some really weird off topic, but pretty much anytime I'm doing something that annoys me, I think about it, I'm saying it on the show, and I'm going to rant about lawn care. The fact of mowing your grass. That's it. It's just like the, it's, it just needs to go away. There needs to be something else in place in your yard besides a bunch of grass. I spent 90 minutes mowing my grass. I'll never have that 90 minutes back. It's gone. Gone. <laughs> so, mowing grass sucks. <laughs> lawn care sucks. I'm
2: seeing That's like a, a beautiful suburban neighborhood with people just like just scowling
1: at your, your jungle like lawn and
2: <laughs> watching the real estate
1: values plummet. Oh, dude, I mow it four <laughs> times a year. I did the first one and I'm just like, I just am dreading the next three. You know, it's like time you'll never get back. So I'm just going to rant about growing grass.
2: I'm going to keep the rants going. I want to rant about, about boat weight. I, I, I've broken one boat in my life and that was 30 years ago. Right, I'm just one of those people. I, I, I just don't. I'm not hard on boats. I'd love to get a boat that weighs 30 pounds. Could someone just please make me a rotatable boat that weighs 30 pounds? Is that so hard? I'll put a, a a composite, you know, shell underneath it to keep the rigidity of the hull, like under the seat. Come on, Shane, help me out, man. <laughs> I like help it. me out, brother. All right. Boat review guy, you want to go ahead and close you this trade, down?
3: Would you trade a reduced warranty for that? Well,
2: hell yeah. I've never warrantied a boat. I've okay. never Reduce had a boat
3: last. Well, not never, but since I moved to the Northwest, I don't think I've ever had a boat last longer than eight months. I Rivers break... are
2: pretty shallow, you're saying? Or what's the problem, you think? It's manky out there. Manky, right? <laughs> it's like... Rivers got formed about two years ago, this blasted channel you know. through some mountains and the water started flowing through it. And boom, but the thing boating. is,
3: the boats, I mean, it is sharp rock out there, but it's they don't break on the cuts. They just break from getting flexed under the hull over and over and over again, like in the same way that you break a credit card. You know, like, I think that's like a common misconception that people see a used boat with a deep scratch in it. And they're like, oh, that's going to crack. But it's never the scratch and that whatever breaks. It's the
1: it's just the repeated flexing of the hull. you know. Hey, I know I've got some lightweight boats and I mean, you know, I'm sure people in the industry would, you know, refute me on this, but like they seem to last just as long as a production weight boat.
2: Right. Could we, could, could a customer go to a store and, and order a liquid logic boat that comes in a 20, you know, 20 or 30 pounds, 28 pounds to 32
1: pounds in a special delivery. I mean, just taking off six, eight pounds is so rad. Right. Composites, dude. I'm telling you. I don't have the money for composites. All right, shut us down, ABRG. What do you got?
5: All right, well, Mother's Day is coming up, and I could definitely rave about your mom. <laughs> uh, uh, but, uh, but, uh, but I'd rather rave about uh, river moms in general. Um, I poach a lot of shuttles, and there is nothing like poaching a ride with a mom of young children. <laughs> when, when i film a ride and a minivan with child seats pulls up i know i've scored
2: Andy handy mcmurray just stop <laughs> just turn off the show right now <laughs>
5: their, their vehicles can hold all your stuff and all your buddies Your dirty river shoes and wet pants are the cleanest things to hit their back seats in weeks. They've got minions on DVD, and best of all, they always have snacks. If we got more moms out there paddling, I wouldn't have to share the back seat of a Tacoma with four stinky dudes ever again. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there running shit and running my shuttles.
2: Uh, all right dude. oh god
4: <laughs> <laughs> well I'll see you
2: next week guys <laughs> <All right.
4: laughs>